As we start this episode, Rita is still missing. I don't know how that cat... And there's another one. What? Oh, wait. I just have to turn off the sound effects library. Just give me a sec. Okay, here we go. When we left Kate, she'd been trying to let people know about her missing cat. She emailed a poster to the copy shop and asked them to make a stack of copies in color. You know, I just felt like the colors were really important to identifying her because um, Rita is a really beautiful kind of muted calico cat. Apparently everyone loves a calico. I'm a little embarrassed to admit I didn't know for sure what a calico was. You probably know, but just in case, a calico cat is a domestic cat of any breed with a tricolor coat. I looked up pictures, and it's true, a cat with black and white and orange? It's impressive. But Kate was still worried. She put posters all over the neighborhood. She also posted on the local Lost Pets Facebook group. She got a lot more responses than she expected. People posting and reposting, sounding really concerned. She was surprised by the level of response, but she developed a theory. This sounds bad, but it, I think it's it, it's because of how beautiful our cat is, which I I found a little disturbing because like it shouldn't matter how beautiful she is. <laughs> the fact is, we want our cat back. Was it because Rita was beautiful that Mr. Copy gave Kate free posters? Not that first day, but over the next weeks and months. Was it because she was beautiful that people responded so passionately to the Facebook post and talked to their neighbors and called Kate and went out searching for Rita themselves? And if so, if Rita was so strikingly beautiful that strangers all over the city were looking for her, how was it that years earlier, when Kate decided to adopt the full-grown one-year-old Rita, she didn't realize Rita had lived with her before? Rita was only two weeks old when they met her the first time. Kate and Carl had signed up to foster kittens with their young son, Cosmo. They ended up with baby Rita, her mom, and her four siblings. And Rita was the runt. She was really tiny, and she had to fight her way to nurse. Like, we we always, like, were trying to help her make sure she got milk and everything, you know, and I think she was Cosmo's favorite. Uh, she was the only calico the others, um, you know, there was a black and white one, which is Pingu, and then there was a gray one and an orange one and a black one. But they were fostering, so they knew their relationship was going to be short-lived. And when it was time to let them go, you know, to send them back to the shelter, it was kind of hard to let go of her. We really liked her, but we had not decided that we were ready to have cats. We had only decided we were ready to foster, and so we were just trying to be good foster parents and let go of the cats. So they took them all back to the shelter. But the thing is, kittens have this short window for getting really comfortable with their surroundings. When Rita and Pingu went back to the shelter, they'd been with Kate's family for weeks. Very significant weeks. If ever they were to come back to Kate's house, it would probably feel more like home than any other. Rita would probably already want to come home. And if, years later, Rita ran away in an unfamiliar parking lot, she would miss her home. Wouldn't she? Wouldn't she know where she belonged? She belonged with us. She belonged at home. And she was scared, and she was on her own, and she needed to be brought home. This is a podcast. 
a podcast with big questions. And when you're making a podcast and you have questions, there's really only one thing to do. You call an expert. I'm Michael Delgado. When we spoke a few years ago, Michael was a postdoctoral researcher at the School of Veterinary Medicine at UC Davis. I'm also a cat behavior consultant, and I've been working professionally with cats for almost 20 years. I called Michael because I wanted to confirm what Rita thought about Kate. I figured as a cat scientist, she'd be able to tell me what was going on in Rita's head. For us, it's really hard to kind of step out of our own heads and into the perceptual world of other animals. So it's it's a bit of a stretch for us, I think, to try to understand how animals think. Okay. So the cat's mind is a black box. Turns out we can't just open it up to find out what's going on in there. Is your cat dreaming about you or is she dreaming about food? Are you alive to your cat? When your cat looks at you, what does she think about? The answer will remain forever ambiguous. But it probably is a combination of smells and sounds and um, appearances that help them kind of form these identifications of who's safe, who's not, who do I love. And yeah, we really just don't know. We know they have a short-term memory, but it's pretty short. <laughs> when you get them to do cognitive memory tasks, um, the, the memory decays pretty quickly. But they do form really strong bonds with their, their home territory and people. But we also know that they're very adaptable. I don't want to you know, suggest that cats who have an experience with one person early in life can never adapt to another person. Uh, a lot of cats end up in animal shelters, go to another family, and end up very happy. They bond very strongly with those new people. So it's really hard to say whether or not um, Rita remembered Kate when she came back or if she was just open to a new experience at that point because she was socialized well when she was young. <sighs> I was hoping for more of an answer than that. But okay, cats are adaptable. Rita the kitten may not have bonded with Kate, but she was socialized well. That's good to know. And when it was time... Kate and Carl took the cats back to the shelter. That was the first time Rita left. But the two girls weren't up to wait yet, so they came back home and stayed with Kate's family for another week or so. Then they went back to the shelter again. That was the second time. And it seemed like that was it for Rita and Kate. And then... A year later, a friend of mine was moving and needed to get rid of a couple cats, and she sent an email out to people she knew and had a picture of them. And I was like, oh, those two cats are adorable. Ooh, and they're both female, and maybe we are ready for cats. And they were like a year old, and we're like, let's get these cats. And I brought it up to Carl, and he was like, it sounds like you've already decided. And so <laughs> we just went and got them, and brought them home and their names were Pinga and Pingu and like a couple days into having them one night I was staying up late everybody else was in bed and I was just looking at Pingu and noticed that she had this weird sort of arrow marking on her nose and I was like gosh that I know that and I thought wait is that the cat we used to have, that kitten, Pingu. And then it just all kind of clicked. The age was right, and that was the, these were our cats. And so I, and I needed to prove it. So, like, I, I used to keep a blog. And so I looked up my blog and I had all these pictures of the kittens. And it was undeniably Rita and Pingu. They had just changed one of the cats' names, but we gave her back her original name. Rita was back. 
and it looked like they were a family, for good this time. Until that visit to the vet's office, when the carrier broke and Rita hightailed it around the subway. And Kate felt like she'd failed the loved one who'd been put in her care. We can't protect our loved ones forever. Our children will suffer. Our pets will die. But we can be more or less present. Hold the carrier more or less tightly. And if it falls apart in our hands anyway, the way a country might, in spite of the polling, in spite of the cruel joke the other candidate makes of himself and the world, then we have to do something about it. So Kate puts posters up, posts on social media. She runs an ad in the newspaper, too. And one night, she gets a text. I saw your cat. I'm over at the Kroger, on this side of the parking lot, and I've put out cat food cans. So I head over there, and it was getting kind of late. Actually, it was getting dark, and this was in the fall, so it got dark early. And I was, I, I went out there, and at some point, like I was texting with this person, and at some point I realized, like, how do I know who this person is and what, like, could this be a trap of some sort? You know, like, if so, I am falling right into it because I'm going out into more and more isolated spaces based on what this person is texting me, who I've never met and have no way of knowing who they are or what, you know. It makes sense that Kate was nervous as she followed a stranger's invitation out behind a grocery store in the dark. But mostly I dismissed that and just really wanted to follow any leads that might mean finding my cat. So she went out, but there was no one there. It turned out to be nothing. There was a picnic table and... Cat food cans that were completely just open. Around there, I would sometimes see um, empty cat food cans. So there were definitely feral cats who were eating the cat food. (laughs) And there were plenty of places for feral cats to live. Yeah, and I should say, so next to the Kroger, there's a big field. And then also behind the Kroger, like kind of next to where those abandoned houses are, there's another big field. So there's lots of big, there's lots of open space and shrubs and brush and trees. And, you know, there's kind of this wild zone back there that, um, you know, we just walked through all hours of the day and night. Um, I mostly thought that the mornings and the evenings were the best time to go look for her. And so, you know, I would get up early and go. I, I just thought that I was most likely to see her out, like before sunrise and you know right around sunset because I didn't I thought that during the day she would um be hiding and even without seeing Rita she was finding other things you know there was something really nice and beautiful at times uh being out in these semi-wild suburban spaces at dawn you know or pre-dawn um seeing like fog across the field lifting or you know seeing frost on on the grasses and you know it's just it it was something you know I didn't usually spend that much time outside um and and it was a lot of time by myself wandering <laughs> thinking about my cat you know one night it must have been late october by now dusk was falling early she decided to check out the stand of scrubby trees back behind a sprawling farmhouse. A walkway of cracked asphalt led to it. 
she saw a shape loom up next to her. An old tractor, overtaken by weeds. She headed into the scrub. It was all edge zone, and she felt a little edgy. Phone light on, she found a broken-down garage. Barn? Hard to tell. She took me there in the safety of a Saturday afternoon a month or so ago, four years since she'd last been there. She'd been looking for Rita, but she found something else. We doubted it would still be there. The place was more decrepit than last time. Caved-in roof, piles of plate glass, rusty bed springs, a black men's ice skate, a crushed leather boot, probably for the same pair of feet, a pair of child's jelly shoes. How long had they been there on the ground? 20 years? What happened to the child who had worn those shoes? Why had this place, a place that had been full of life, plans to go skating, why had it been abandoned? There was something unfinished here. Maybe something still living. And then... imagine this as being... Oh my God, there it is! There's an arm! Kate found what we'd come to see. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay, so it's like... It looked like a child lying on the ground. It's like a... Matted hair. A tiny body. Blank eyes. Her head was turned to the side, shirt up around her neck, her shoulder bare. No legs. Lying there between two rotting beams. A child-sized mannequin. A couple feet away, a raggedy Andy doll stared, perpetually surprised, up at the sky. Both slowly succumbing to dead leaves and ivy. I, I feel comforted to know that someone didn't... When she came across this scene four years ago, Kate snapped a photo with her flashlight spotlighting the uncanny face. Back then it was upright, its hand tilted out at its side in a gesture of innocence, head and eyes downcast. I have to say, it, she, looks really sad in the photo. And vulnerable, her bare belly crossed over, protected, by a fallen board. The one leg you can see is still intact. Seeing her in person, it was as if we'd found the child who'd worn those shoes, and everything had been abandoned. Like those burned out houses up the hill. And everything was haunted. There's something to a haunting. I learned this from the great writer and sociologist Avery Gordon. Being haunted means something hasn't been laid to rest. Haunting is that moment when things are not in their assigned places, when disturbed feelings cannot be put away, when something else seems like it must be done. I think this mannequin, forgotten for decades in a broken-down garage, was a sign that something hadn't been put to rest. Kate was being haunted, Someone was lost, someone she loved. And until she found closure, she would have to keep going. And then, one night. And I think this was pretty early on. You know, I was getting up at like 4.30 in the morning and getting dressed and heading out there and um, looking for her behind Kroger and in those fields and stuff. And so I would usually just park somewhere in the Kroger parking lot and just get out and start walking around and just calling her and rattling her food thing. And so I was walking around like up near where those um, abandoned houses were and stuff. And I hear this person's voice and they're calling Rita, Rita, Rita. And I'm like, Rita. Wait a minute. Rita. What? Rita. What is Rita, happening? <laughs> like, Rita. 
And I look down and I see this car and it's like kind of idling and driving a little ways and then stopping and idling. And this person is calling out my cat's name. And it's a, it's a woman's voice. And then, you know, before I could even get down there, they kind of drove off and left. She never found out who it was. She figured it was her friend Tassie. She asked her, and she said no, she had been out looking for her, but not that night. Whoever it was had driven off, but that wasn't the only reason Kate didn't talk to her. She was also a little scared. It was almost eerie. Like, who would do that? Wee hours of the morning, go out calling for someone else's cat behind a strip mall. I've mentioned that Kate wondered if Rita was special. Like, if all those free color posters, all the texts and Facebook likes, and the person calling out in the middle of the night were because of Rita's good looks. But I don't know. Maybe Rita wasn't special. Maybe all the lost pets get that much attention. Listening to Kate tell the story, I started thinking that maybe that voice in the pre-dawn parking lot was part of the usually invisible substrate of human interaction. Hearing that voice, Kate was listening to someone watch over her. And Rita. I don't know. Maybe it sounds like I'm talking about the Holy Spirit or something back there by the Kroger dumpsters. But it wasn't God. It was some person out there caring about Kate's troubles without even knowing her. For all its eeriness. It was also beautiful and touching that someone, you know, would be out there pre-dawn searching for my cat behind a strip mall. With all those people out helping, it seemed inevitable Rita would be found. I just felt like I knew she was out there. Kate was stubborn about that. There was something idealistic about her persistence. I'm inclined to say it went a little beyond the constraints of reality, especially since Carl had seen something in the field by the Kroger within a week of Rita's disappearance. I don't know. It's probably that first week that I was out there early in the morning walking through that field to the south of the strip mall up toward those farmhouses when I saw a coyote. And at that point, I thought, oh, well, if there's coyotes around, then she could well have been eaten. And I don't... I certainly didn't tell Kate at the time that I saw the coyote. I'm not sure I ever told her at all because I didn't want her... I wanted her to still remain hopeful. Like I said, we got to take care of each other. That's it for chapter two of The Third Time Rita Left. Chapter three has a discussion with Kate's boss about work-life boundaries, more sightings, and the family getting offered the opportunity to exhume a dead cat. Listen to chapter three, Missing Rita, right now, wherever you're listening to this one. This has been a production of Inner States from WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana. For Missing Cats, I'm Alex Chambers. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.